Hey, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking today at the Christmas story through the eyes of two people, the prophet or the priest Zechariah and the Virgin Mary. By the way, while you're turning there, a lot of lights and stuff, a lot of decorations go up. I know we put a few things on our house, but have you ever wondered what house has won the Guinness World Record of the most lights on a residential home? I'm sure you were thinking about that all night last night. Anyway, in 2001, the Richards family of Canberra, Australia, set the Guinness World Record. You had to grace a human house, had to be a house you lived in or your yard, you know, your trees and stuff like that. They used 331,038 bulbs. And, uh, to add, uh, and they, they held that record for 10 years. In 2012, Tim Gay and his family from LaGrangeville, New York, bested the Richards. And they decorated their house with 346,283 lights. And they added synchronized music. The Richards couldn't stand to be outdone. And so they upped their holiday lighting to 502,165 lights. They, it was 29 miles of wire on their house. So, of course, the Tim Gay family in New York decided they couldn't be beat. So they increased it to 601,736 lights. And if you're interested in getting involved in the competition, they said not only is it very expensive, it took them two months to put these lights out and about that time to take it down. So if you're willing to spend a lot of money, spend about a third of your year decorating your house for Christmas, you too can be involved in this. And if you'd like to know the target, just remember 601,736 lights and 200 songs, including the best top 40, as well as all the Christmas classics. That's, that's the standard for the Guinness Book of World Records. The star in my window seems a bit inadequate today, actually. <laughs> but that's enough. The hope of Christmas. Two people getting a message from God through an angel Gabriel and their lives would be forever changed. This is the way Luke recorded it in Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray for a moment. Father, the events leading up to this first Christmas were extraordinary days and extraordinary events. Not any of us could wonder at the surprise that Zechariah or Mary both felt to be addressed by the angel Gabriel himself. And yet there was a message in his words and something in their responses that can fill our Christmas with hope. And I thank you, God, for what you'll show us today in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up as a kid in the 1950s, Christmas was a magical time full of hope. Our whole family wasn't very rich by any means, but we always had a tree, we always had a few gifts, and we had our family together. In fact, our whole New England village used to come alive. Lights everywhere, in the windows of the houses, decorations out front, the tree on the village green in front of St. John's Church all lit up. Snow would start falling, and ice skating would begin in the center of town. I knew just about everybody in the village. Merry Christmas and glad tidings seemed to be everywhere. And I still remember as a kid, everything seemed to be right with the world at Christmas. And then you grow up. And you become aware that there are issues going on in the world and in people's lives. And some of the magic begins to disappear. 
People have said that you have to grow up through the three stages of Christmas. I believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in Santa Claus. I am Santa Claus. <laughs> With growing up comes grown-up responsibilities, and you become more aware that peace on earth is truly rare, and that Christmas, the way you hoped, is often unrealized. And so you begin to wonder, will I ever have that hope again? Will there be someone or something that puts that magical hope back in my Christmas? And according to Gabriel, the answer is yes. That someone is God, and the something is his word. That's what an old priest named Zechariah and a young virgin named Mary learned as they approached the wonder and mystery of that first Christmas. Zechariah and Mary both received a Christmas message of hope, especially delivered by the angel Gabriel. Zechariah, he said, you're going to have a son in your old age, and you're going to name him John. Mary, you're going to have a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, and you're to call him Jesus. Two people, two extraordinary circumstances, same message, but very different responses. And Gabriel taught them a lesson on hope that neither of them would ever forget. It's a lesson on hope that's as real today for you and me because it's rooted in the Word of God. In fact, Gabriel would tell them that no matter what our circumstances, we can capture the hope of Christmas in the Word of God. Why is that so? Because as Gabriel said, the Word of God is true and the Word of God never fails. We can put our hope in the Word of God because the Word of God is true. Here's how he put it in verse 11, Luke 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring many people, he'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Eric Weyenmayer. He was uh, very much in the news about a decade ago, uh, especially in sporting circles, because he's the first blind mountaineer to ever successfully climb Mount Everest, the world's tallest peak. After doing that, he wrote in out, uh, outreach, or excuse me, Outside Magazine a bit of his story. Here's what he wrote. A few days after I arrived in the Kumbu Valley for the Mount Everest climb, a rumor began circulating because I wasn't flopping on my face every few minutes the Sherpas thought I was lying about my blindness. Women would approach me in the alleys of the Namche Bazaar 
and waved their hands in front of my face. I'd feel the wind and flinch, which only confirm their suspicions. This guy's not really blind. Finally, I resorted to drastic measures. I asked Kami Tenzing, our climbing Sirdar, into the kitchen tent. Kami, I said, I want to give you a message to take back to the Sherpas. I pulled down my left lower eyelid, leaned my head forward, and popped my prosthetic eye into my hand. And I said, Kami, I can take the other one out if you want. He said, no, no, no. <laughs> Not necessary. You see, Eric Weinmeier was telling the truth. He is blind, totally blind. But people would not believe him. Because sometimes the truth is so remarkable that it takes drastic measures to convince people that what they're being told is really the truth. And that's what happened when Gabriel spoke God's truth to Zechariah. Zechariah had to be drastically convinced that the message was true. Zechariah asked the angel, verse 18, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah is a smart guy. You notice, I'm an old man. He doesn't call his wife old. He just says, I'm, she's well along in years. <laughs> smart man. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. There are three angels mentioned by name in the Bible, Lucifer the fallen angel, Michael the archangel, and Gabriel the messenger angel of God to Israel. He is a very busy angel at this time of year. Gabriel was dispatched from the throne room of God with a message from God to Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Apparently, Zechariah and his wife had prayed for years to have a child. And now God says, go tell them their prayers are being answered. You and Elizabeth are going to have a son in your old age. He'll be great and prepare the way for the Lord's Messiah. And Zechariah said in verse 18, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah says to Gabriel, you know, my wife and I, well, it's been a while. I mean, we're really not. Um, you know what I mean? Um, and even when we were, way back then, it wasn't working. You catch my drift, Gabe? <laughs> so are you sure? Gabriel responded, what, are you kidding? How can you be sure? I am Gabriel. I just came from God's throne room. You've been praying. God's been hearing. And he said, Gabriel, go tell them I've heard their prayer. He told me to give you the good news. Verse 20, and now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. You see, the real issue is not was Gabriel real or did he really say this, but would Zechariah believe what God told him was true? 
So Gabriel gave Zechariah a nine-month tutorial on why we ought to believe every word that God says. For nine months, he would not be able to speak a word until God opened his mouth to speak. You didn't believe God's word, so now you will have no words. And when you do speak, the first words out of your mouth will be praise to God. That's exactly what happened. You remember Luke 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, when they came to... They, when it came to circumcise the child, they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue set free, and he began to speak praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. God's word is always true. We can always believe what he says. Even more now than Zechariah. Even better now than an angelic appearance. For we have the word of God written down for us to read. Do you remember when Peter brought up this whole subject to the people he loved about why you could trust God's word to be true? In 2 Peter 1, verse 16, he said, For we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him, from the majestic glory. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when he took on that glory? God spoke. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter told the people, look, we didn't invent these stories. The words weren't even ours. God spoke them to us. The Holy Spirit put the words in our minds, and we wrote them down. And that same Holy Spirit made sure that these words were faithfully transmitted, recorded, and preserved. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul stressed when he wrote to Timothy in the churches. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, 
continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's all God-breathed. Exactly what Peter was saying, too. It's inspired of God. Peter, Paul, James, Luke, all the writers knew that what they wrote wasn't coming from them. They didn't even understand some of the things they were writing. It was coming from God through them. Which is why Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. People, this Bible that you hold in your hands, that word you have on your phone or on your tablet, that word you listen to on DVD or CD, what you're hearing, what you're reading is the very word of God spoken to us from heaven. And it's completely true. I remember when I was at Multnomah University, they called it Multnomah School of the Bible back then, my Hebrew-Greek prof, Dr. Goodrick, uh, was an amazing guy. He was contracted by Zondervan, the Bible people, to write the concordance, the complete concordance to the NIV. He and John Kohlenberger worked on that together, both experts in the languages. During one of our Christmas breaks, Dr. Goodrick went to London. And when he got back, he told us he went to the Museum of London. And there he saw, in a glass case, a complete 25-foot scroll in Hebrew of the prophet Isaiah, the whole book of Isaiah on a 25-foot scroll from 200 years before the birth of Christ. And he said, I read the whole thing. So he piqued our interest, and we said to him, well, what did it say? <laughs> he said, what did it say? He, he picked up his Bible, he turned to Isaiah chapter 1, and he started reading. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. He said it says exactly in that case what it says in your English Bible. It hasn't changed, it never will. The word of the Lord stands forever. You see, the issue for us is the same as Zechariah. It's not, did God speak? But do I believe what he said? People who reject God's word don't reject it for lack of evidence. They reject it because they're either ignorant or they're rebellious. It took Zechariah nine months of silence to learn that God's word is always true. I wonder sometimes what it will take for some of us. 
Gabriel said, no matter what your circumstances this Christmas, you can find your hope in God's word because God's word is always true. And not only because God's word is true, but we can put our hope in the word of God because the word of God never fails. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I was reading a piece by Jeremy Bassett from Oklahoma City about his five-year-old niece, Olivia, and her best friend, Claire, who were participating in a nativity play at school. Claire was playing Mary. Olivia was an angel. And before the show, there was a little boy going around the dressing room repeating, I'm a sheep, what are you? I'm a sheep, what are you? I'm a sheep, what are you? Each child responded politely, including Olivia, who proudly declared she was an angel. The boy eventually got to Claire, who was still struggling with her costume with her mother's help, and repeated the question, I'm a sheep, who are you? Or what are you? Claire simply said, I'm Mary. Realizing he was face to face with the lead character, he felt he needed to justify his own role, so he said, well, it's hard being a sheep, you know. With all the seriousness a five-year-old actor with a big part could say, and Claire responded, yep, I'm sure it is. But it's also hard being a virgin, you know. <laughs> I would imagine it is. And I would imagine it's even harder to convince people you're a virgin when you're about to give birth to a baby. Because you see, virgins don't get pregnant. But that was Mary's circumstance as she approached the miracle of that first Christmas. You think Zechariah had a tough message to swallow? Try Mary's on for size. Gabriel told Mary, you're going to have God's baby. Verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, 
and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary, you're going to have a baby. He will be God's son. He'll be the one who fulfills God's promise to David. He'll be a king, and his reign will never end. You will call him Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. And Mary said, how will this be? I am a virgin. You know, at first it seems to be the same kind of question that Zechariah asked. But Mary's question was quite different, and Gabriel knew it. Because it wasn't the question of can I believe this. Mary believed it. So she simply asked, how is God going to do this? How is he going to do it? Pretty reasonable question, don't you think? God and Gabriel must have thought so too. In fact, when you read the account, you can almost see Gabriel smiling when he gives the answer. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. What does Mary say? Let's do this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Imagine all that Mary went through over the next nine months. Breaking the news to her parents that she was pregnant. They would be publicly disgraced. Telling her fiancé, Joseph, who would feel betrayed, heartbroken, and forced into a difficult decision whether to have her stoned by Jewish law. For the neighbors, the friends, the village people who would whisper behind her back, who would point and stare, who would avoid her and spread the vicious rumors about her sexual sin and her immorality. You see, virgins don't have babies unless God says they will. So what sustained Mary over those nine months of rejection and ridicule and beyond? The Word of God is what sustained her, which she obviously knew well and was filling her mind and heart that she believed. Because when Mary saw Elizabeth, her relative, that she was six months pregnant, that every word Gabriel had told her was true, Mary broke into a song filled with the Word of God. 
it became known as the Magnificat. Luke 1, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestor. Verse after verse after verse coming to her mind that sustained her and encouraged her. She is living the fulfillment of everything God had promised. And when Jesus was born and the angels were singing and the shepherds were showing up rejoicing, Mary saw firsthand that what Gabriel had told her nine months earlier was true. No word from God will ever fail. No matter what your circumstance this Christmas, Gabriel said you can find your hope in God's word because God's word will never fail. Sometimes our circumstances can make our Christmas feel a bit upside down that things aren't going quite like we had hoped. If that's the case, I've got the perfect tree for you. About 10 years ago, a new holiday trend literally began turning a traditional Christmas celebration upside down. Hamaker Schlemmer, a realtor company based in New York, started offering a unique Yuletide decoration, the upside down Christmas tree. Now, when they first started offering this, the original version was seven feet tall, pre-lit, 800 commercial lights. This technological marvel could have been yours for the low price of $599.95. But why would anyone want an upside-down Christmas tree? According to Hamaker Schlemmer's website, it says the inverted shape makes it easier to see the ornaments, which hang away from the dense needles, while allowing more room for the accumulation of presents underneath. Hmm. This week, I found on walmart.com a whole selection of upside-down Christmas trees, ranging in price from $112 to 823 And as I scrolled through page after page of these, I thought, upside-down Christmas trees? You can't even count on Christmas trees staying the way I remembered Things change. Hopes go unrealized. But one thing never changes. God's word. Maybe this year it's not your Christmas tree that's looking upside down. Maybe it's your life. Or something going on in your family. Things are just not shaping up the way you'd hope as Christmas is approaching. 
And you're wondering, is there anything I can really count on? Anything that could really make a difference? Anything I could hold on to to give me a hope that never changes? Well, Zechariah and Mary and an angel named Gabriel have a word from God for us. Put your hope in God and in his word. Because God's word is always true. As Zechariah could say, I know it sounds crazy, but I'd like you to meet my son, John. Put your hope in God and in his word, for God's word will never fail. As Mary would say, I know this is remarkable, but I want you to meet God's son, Jesus. Someday, when you too have heard God's word and believed it, when you have put your hope in what God has said, someday, when everything he said is fulfilled and you are standing in his presence, surrounded by his glory, you too will be able to say, Gabriel was right. His word is always true. His word never fails. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It always has. It always will. That's our hope this Christmas and every day of the year. Father, I want to thank you for these hidden stories in the Christmas miracle of your coming. Real people encountering real angels with a real word. Written down, faithfully transmitted so that we could learn from their life and example. Today, Lord, I can't possibly know all of the circumstances these dear people are facing. But you know it all. Things may not be shaping up as we'd hoped. Maybe the burdens are great. And even in the midst of the joy, it isn't just what we remember. 